Hello and welcome to Wagawheel Coffee Table. It's a film podcast. everybody and welcome back to the Wagon Wheel Coffee Table podcast. I'm your host Ellis, this is episode 19. In today's episode we're going to be talking about some underrated films, obviously in my opinion, you guys might disagree with them. I'll obviously get into that in a bit, but usually on this podcast, well, a lot of the time in these introductions I talk about football and sometimes I just delete it uh, and edit it out because I feel like no one's interested. Uh, but this week, I'm going to talk about it because I'm very sad and, and the the world needs to know. So if you're unaware of the League One promotion table, I mean League One promotion chase, my team, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, were unbeaten in 20 plus games, top of the league, looking like we were set for the title and get promotion back to the championship where, you know, we not necessarily deserve to be, but where we should be really. And we've lost a few games recently, and Plymouth and Ipswich, who are two other teams in that league, have been incredible. So now we've slipped third in the league, which means we're in the playoffs, and we're not going to get automatic promotion. I think one of Ipswich or Plymouth has to lose their last two games, and we have to win our last two games for us to get automatic promotion, I think. And that's just not going to happen because those two teams are incredible, an incredible form. At the minute, we've had a couple of injuries to some key players, but still, it's just not been good enough. And we've bottled it recently, uh, really. And I'm terrified of the playoffs um, because the playoffs never go well. You know, if you're unaware of the English Football League uh, promotion system, so for example, in the in League One, which is the third tier of English football, um, you have top the top two teams get promoted to the to the division above automatically and the third to sixth team so third fourth fifth and sixth going to like a tournament so third play sixth twice and whoever gets the best aggregate score goes to the final and fourth plays fifth and ho- again whoever gets the most aggregate score goes to the final and then they play at Wembley to see who goes up with the other two top teams and it's a bit of a lottery um, we've been in the playoffs a couple of times in my lifetime, a, few, a lot of times actually in my lifetime. Um, only twice have I like been a supporter watching it, but that was from the championship to the top division in the Premier League, and we uh, bottled that twice as well, once on penalties and once in, in the final. So I'm not looking forward to that, and there's a lot of good teams in good form in the playoffs, whereas we see there's, it's interesting because we're like one of the best teams in the league, uh, so we realistically should be favourite for favourites for the playoffs, but because we've been in some bad form and the play and the teams like in the playoffs or battling out to be in the playoffs, they're in really good form. So I don't think we're actually favourites going into the playoffs. I think teams like Barnsley, uh, who are in really good form at the minute, they're favourites for the playoffs. They're they're in fourth, but they are like they just keep on winning and they've beaten us twice this season, I think. So or maybe. They haven't lost against us, I don't think, this season. So I think they're favourites, honestly. And if we get to the final, we'll probably play them and probably lose. And it's going to be well annoying because it's Barnsley. Um, and we don't really like Barnsley. <sighs> God. I, I mean, I know you probably don't care about football. And maybe I'll cut this all out. Um, but if you listen to this, that means I haven't. And I want you to know my pain. Because football 
I don't, it's really weird. Like, I think I've, I've spoken about this with my therapist that, like, football has such, like, a hold on my happiness and my overall mood. Um, but I think a lot of football fans get that. And probably a lot of, like, sports fans, depending on their, if their team's winning or losing. But it's just, oh, I can't believe it. Like, because we're losing, we're not losing a lot recently. We've lost, like, a few easy games. Like, we lost against Bomb of the League. And that really got me down. Um, and, like, I was... So I was born in the year 2000, which kind of obviously get my age from that. And my team were relegated from the Premier League, so the top division, in the year 2000. And since then, we haven't been there. So I, I haven't really seen my club be successful. We've had, like, good seasons. So we've been in League One before, and we've got promoted and had a really good season. Um, we've been in the Championship... Uh, quite a lot and like the like two good seasons we had in the championship where we got to the playoffs I, w- I was a season ticket holder so I got to experience that like my dad and people in my family who support it have like memories of them being really good in the 90s and by the way my like football conspiracies that everyone was good in the 90s everyone talks about 90s football like like everyone was good like everyone had inc- incredible players like Newcastle talk about like Ginola and even though they probably weren't, like, they had, like, the Keegan years and all that stuff where it was pretty good and the Bobby Robson years. But, like, everyone talks about having a good team in the 90s, I think. And I think that's just, like, the generation above me uh, and, like, our parents' generation have, like, a fondness for that generation of football where the money hadn't quite arrived yet. Like, Roman Abramovich hadn't arrived yet. Um, Man City hadn't been bought. Newcastle now, they hadn't been bought. PSG, like weren't these this huge club that was just buying loads of players and kind of ruining the sport um there's I, I i kind of said that i missed that era of football it seemed like a fun era with like oh nine ronaldo obviously we're incredibly lucky to have like messi ronaldo and all these great players in my lifetime like the two greatest players ever have been in my lifetime but i would have liked to see you know the 90s but yeah that's my that's my rant on on football for the day I've just oh I didn't even mention to top it off our rivals or our city rivals our derby uh, is Sheffield United and they've just been promoted to the Premier League anyway enough about football let's get into this film podcast so as I said before we're going to be talking about some underrated films um, I've kind of put together a short list I'm going to talk, be talking about five films this week that I think are underrated um, I was trying to I wrote like a long list, maybe about 10 films that I thought were underrated, just off like the top of my head and just looking through my like watched on uh, letterbox. And I was just going through and I was, and some of them, it was some of these, so I've kind of cut it down to kind of get a mix of un, like underwatched and underrated because some of these films are really highly rated. Well, maybe one or two of these films that I've chosen here are really highly rated. Oh no, I've got more than five films. What am I talking about? I added some. So I, I cut it down to five and I was like, no, I'm just going to do all of them. I forgot about that. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, not ten. So I did cut it down to five. But I was like, no, I'm just going to do all, I'm just going to do all of them. Um, That's right. So I, so, so anyway, that, this is very messed up and I've described this very wrong. But so <laughs> I made a list 
of films that I thought were underrated. But then I was looking through and I was like, some of these are really well rated. So maybe they're not underrated, they're just underwatched or maybe underappreciated or not as widely known. So yeah, I was try- I kind of got rid of all the ones that were rated, just not by a lot of people. Um, but then I was like, ah, but I kind of want to talk about them anyway. So I've put them back in. So there are a few, few films here that are definitely rated, just not like widely known and like loads of people watch them. But those who did watch them really liked it, if that makes sense. Obviously, there there are some ones in here where people like like them, or people don't like them, and I really like them. Um, it's it's a bit of a mix of like underrated, underwatched, and just like ones I like that other people don't seem to like. Um, but yeah, let's let's get into it. I mean, there was some that I'm missing. Like I just, like today, I did this list uh, like two or three days ago. And today I was just just like prepping to do the podcast. And I was like, oh, I forgot about Under the Skin, <laughs> the Scarlett Johansson film. Because like, I don't think many people watch that. And I watched it when I was at uni as part of a class. And it scared the living shit out of me. And it's one of the best films I've ever seen. Like, uh, uh, Wait, let me get my review up for that film. Because I was watching it. I was like, God, I hate this. But... It was like in a good way. Uh, I think it's a similar thing to what people get from horror films, but it's so like unnerving. Was if someone came to me and said this was a masterpiece, then I'd agree with them. But if someone also came to me and said this was bad, I'd also agree with him. And then I kind of like, I think I rated it three stars maybe. And then I edited it a few hours later and like, I can't stop thinking about it, four stars. And then the second edit was, fuck, I think I love this film, five stars. (laughs) Just I couldn't stop thinking about it. I think I, I, I couldn't, well, from what I can tell, I put it back down to four stars, but that was my review. And it was, it was, it's a wild film. It's truly terrifying. Truly terrifying. There's a scene with a crying baby and it's absolutely terrifying. Um, and also I liked, this, I'm just going to read, I'm not, I'm not talking about Under the Skin, but I guess here we are. Um, so this review was from 2014 from someone called Lisa the Beauty Queen on Letterboxd. And it's one I liked. It gave a good uh, example of my reaction. So she wrote, what? What? I don't get it. So? I don't get it. At least give it a rating. But I don't get it. Was it good? Yes. Would you recommend it? I don't know. How does that work? I don't know. What? What? Just give it two and a half or something. I can't. Why? Because it's good. Then what's the issue? I don't know. For fuck's sake. I don't understand it. It confused me. Just your plebeian mind. Fuck you. Fuck you. You know, the whole review is entirely self-indulgent, right? Yep. So why are you doing it? Only way we could think of. Oh, yeah. Also, we're attention whores who like likes. That's true. Want pizza? Sure. That's how I thought about it. Like, obviously, this is like a hypothetical conversation between two people. But that kind of was my review. I was like, I really like this film. But I also hate this film. I don't know if I'd recommend this film. But also, I would recommend this film. Yeah, it was just mind-boggling. Anyway, I, I'm not even talking about Under the Skin today, but I just thought I, I just remembered it while I was setting up the podcast. And I was like, oh, I, maybe I should have done that one. But anyway, here we are. I'm doing eight films, eight other films. Uh, and here we go. So the first film is Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, released in 1987, directed by Hao Miyazaki, 
starring Simu Shinamoto, Goro Naya, and Hisako Kyoda. Warrior and pacifist Princess Nausicaa desperately struggles to prevent two warring nations from destroying themselves and their dying planet. So I watched this film, I think when a load of Ghibli films came on Netflix, I'd seen like Spirited Away, uh, Princess Mononoke, I think, uh, and probably My Neighbor Totoro. And this is one I hadn't heard of at all. And it was it's the it's the film that kind of created Studio Ghibli. Like all the people who are a part of Studio Ghibli made Nausicaa, but Studio Ghibli wasn't a thing really when they released it. They released it kind of in tandem and I think just after uh this film. Um I love this film and I think a lot of people do really like this film. I think whoever watches it who's like a Miyazaki fan uh, or just a film fan because people love it but I think it's it's obviously not as well known as like Spirited Away, My Name of Totoro, even like Princess Mononoke or like The Wind Rises and things like that or even Ponyo. I think it's one of the like the lesser known ones because obviously it's from 1987 it's the first one really. It's not Hayao Miyazaki's first film but it's like the first Ghibli film that's what I was saying before so I think that just it's just not on people's radar but I put it up there with like Spirited Away and uh and Totoro and Mononoke and Howl's Moving Castle I put it up with uh, with those films I just never hear people really talk about it in the same breath breath um I think it's it's a, you 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 get sorry I'm kind of subbling over my words you get a really clear idea as you do in any Miyazaki film but obviously this is the first one I haven't seen his first film but this is like the first Ghibli him and Ghibli so you get a very clear idea of Miyazaki's uh, thoughts about the world and how we're treating it uh, environmentally with war and with machinery and industrialization and that comes across in nearly every film he's ever made uh, obviously, in particular, like Princess Mononoke and Howl's Moving Castle, but you kind of get he has a very strong and yeah, very strong opinions on those kind of things, and he likes to put them across in his films. Maybe I think it probably he does it purposefully, but it just it's such a part of him that like activism and just those feelings about these uh, these subjects, these just come in their film. This just comes across in these films, and this one in particular. Um, I should really say spoilers at the beginning of every episode, but I think people should understand that if I'm going to talk about a film, I'm going to spoil it. Oh, right now, my film, my podcast isn't that popular, so people don't really care about spoilers because no one's listening. Um, but, you know, if we ever get more popular, I probably should start saying spoilers. But anyway, so yeah, this film is really fantastic. It's a really great action film. Obviously, like a lot of Miyazaki films, it's female-led, which I think is really important, actually. Um I kind of flip-flop on how I feel about uh, Miyazaki films. Like, there are some of my favourite films, but, like, the things like the love story always kind of irk me a little bit. Like, it doesn't really feel very well, well, like, rounded, the romantic story. And there isn't really one in Nausicaa at all, which is good. That's something I really like about it. Uh, And, like, the central female character is just just sick and really brave and powerful and saves the world uh and there's some really cool visuals in this like the opening sequence maybe it's not the opening sequence it's like this even the opening sequence where where that guy is going through the desert i think i haven't seen it in a while 
this guy's going through the desert and then the second sequence is Nausicaa finding the shell of those big bug creatures that I can't remember the name of that's an incredible scene and then she gets chased by one and then at the end there's incredible like uh, visuals in this film like all his films obviously but it's just the big like army of those bug things coming out of the forest and then when they get like exploded by that big creature that's in the egg it's just like talking about that film it sounds wild it's like big bug creatures coming out of the forest that get destroyed of a big thing coming out of an egg this big person coming out of an egg like that scene where everything explodes and it's just heartbreaking but also like relieving because those bug things were going to kill everyone and uh, it's just it's such a beautiful film and such an important film and like as always it's a film like his other films that is getting their point across about environmentalism about war without it being it feels like it's teaching you about something without it teaching you about something and i think sometimes that's not a good thing so sometimes things need to be heavy-handed and need to be like this thing is bad and i think like in a lot of films that are talking about like racism or you know homophobia people people are like oh it's too heavy-handed it's saying that this thing is bad that's too heavy-handed but like sometimes it needs to be heavy-handed you know like yeah racism is bad let's let's heavy hand that let's it's like yeah it is <laughs> there's it needs to be heavy-handed to get in people's thick skulls um and obviously like war and even the environment are really important issues but in a story like this it really like treads the line is that the right phrase treads the line of it it being very clear about what its message is with that whilst being a really exciting and entertaining film where it doesn't feel like you're being taught about something i don't really mind being taught about something but i don't know if i'm making any sense but anyway um i was actually doing a bit of research on this film and i'll do i'm gonna do a miyazaki ranking soon i think because like looking into this film made me want to do one and i i was listening to uh ghibli music at work the other day and it just kind of got me in the mood to watch and like rank uh, miyazaki films but there's a famous story about uh miyazaki and ghibli sending sending a katana in the post to Harvey Weinstein because he tried to cut up Princess Mononoke for like a, a, a American release. He tried to like edit it and they said no. I, I knew that story and I knew the story about sending Katana. It's a really iconic story, especially now knowing like Harvey Weinstein and what he's done. Like it's very like a fuck you to him. Um, but that was because of what happened with Nausicaa. So I felt so Nausicaa was kind of having a, a Western release and it was cha- they changed the name to Warriors of the Wind, which is basically a recut of the film and lots of things were cut. And the, I watched the trailer and I looked at the poster for Warriors of the Wind, the American release of this film. And the trailer makes it seem like there isn't a central character. It doesn't make it seem like Nausicaa is the central character. It makes it feel like there are like many central characters. So the I can't remember any of the characters' name, but the guy with the big mustache, uh, and and her and like a couple of other people are like all the central characters because it's called Warriors of the Wind. It's about these group of warriors, which the film isn't really about. It's more about her, and the poster has like 
a guy with a gun riding one of those bug creatures and there's another guy with a gun Nausicaa's like off to the side not in the central central thing of the poster she's just like flying in the side but then there's like this is like ripped guy with a gun honestly I'm I'm not sure if I like looked at the right poster but I googled it and that's what came up like the official poster for that film so it's very weird that they just added characters that aren't in the film with a gun on the poster it's very strange but obviously knowing that even though like Harvey Weinstein wasn't in charge of that uh like edit you could see why they decided not to get get someone else the pause on it you know like the people who did it in the 80s to Nausicaa obviously felt that like a female-led action animated film wasn't what the people wanted and tried to pretend that it was a group it was about a group of warriors and then on the poster they added someone with a gun this right ripped guy riding a bug creature with a holding or like a the semi-automatic rifle in the air going yeah with now off in the distance it it just seemed like they were trying to sell it um and they, they thought selling it means making it more male orientated uh, and that's obviously not true because it was widely a wildly successful film in Japan, and lots of female-led animated films since have done incredibly well, like Spirit, *Spirited Away*. Anyway, what are my f- final thoughts on Nausicaa? Um Obviously, obviously people rate it. Um, I just I put it in here because i don't think it's as rated as it should be i think things like spirited away and totoro and mononoke are really held up as masterpieces but i think this is in the same conversation um and the music is incredible like there's the classic like his style of like orchestral music but there's also a lot of like funky 80s stuff in there which is really cool it's really different to a lot of other miyazaki films okay what's next <laughs> so a bit of a pivot for the next one so Nausicaa is actually the oldest film. It's the only film not in the 2000s on my list. But um, the next film is a big pivot. I guess, yeah, I guess it's a pivot, sure. Uh, it's Godzilla King of Monsters, released in 2019, directed by Michael Doherty, uh, starring Kyle Chandler, Minnie Murray Brown, Ken Watanabe, among other amazing actors. Um, this film... <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the, the synopsis, but, you know, it's very clear. A cryptozoological agency monarch faces off a, against a battery of god-sized monsters, including the mighty Godzilla, who collides with Mothra, Rodan, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed King Ghidorah. Now, I think I'm not on my own with loving these films, but a lot of people find them cringy. And maybe if I watch them again, I would, but... I remember when the f- when I first watched the first Godzilla, not as in the original like nineties one or the old animations or the Japanese films, like the Godzilla that was directed by the guy who directed Rogue One. I can't remember his name. It's Gareth Edwards, maybe. I watched that, and it was good. It was really well. It was a really good film, but it just wasn't that interesting. It wasn't that exciting. It focused too much on the human side of the story, and with these films, the worst part is the human side of the story. And the dialogue was really cringy, and it just wasn't really my cup of tea. I then watched Kong Skull Island, and it was kind of similar. It was a bit of an improvement, because there was more 
like obviously this is Kong, so it's a, a gorilla instead of Godzilla, but it's in the same universe. There's some more creatures, some interesting stuff. Um, but it's again, it's not really my cup of tea. Like there's still a lot of human characters in here that I just don't care about. A lot of like fake emotion in it that I don't really give a shit about. Um, and then Godzilla King of Monsters comes out, and it's like, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. I think a lot of I was I was kind of on on the side of like because I heard a lot of people wanting like the more crazy shit in the in these Godzilla films. And although I didn't love the original Godzilla or Skull Island, I was like, well, they're trying to do something a bit different. Like in the in the orig- in the Godzilla, the first one in two thousand and fifteen, whatever it was, they were trying to do something like they don't really show Godzilla. Everything's from like. Uh, the human's perfect perspective, like looking up at him, it's a really interesting direction. But then Godzilla King of Monsters came around. And it's like, oh, they just abandoned all sort of like artistry or anything like that, and just thought, what do people want? People want big monsters kicking the shit out of each other for two hours. That's what people want, and that's what they gave us. It was such a like a twit. It was like, okay, we're doing these like interesting, good monster movies that are, like pretty like classic uh, action the dialogue's a bit cringy but you know who cares because it's big monsters and then they went let's turn that up to a thousand but let's get it get rid of a lot of the humans obviously they still have like the billy millie bobby brown character who's kind of like grounding the story but it's just crazy this film it's absolutely mental i loved it it's 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 just big things going stomp that's what I love about, and like obviously Godzilla versus Kong does something similar with, and then like the Mech Godzilla comes up, comes out at the end. But this film is just mental. Like Ghidorah is just like on a volcano, controlling all these um, monsters, like like uh, Rodan and all these people. It's crazy, and like, uh, it's such a mental film. It's. There's so many. There's like obviously I've been really in depth in talking about the the new monsters of Nausicaa and its environmental impact, but this is just like yeah, the big big things are going stomp, and I like that. Sometimes you just need a batshit crazy film that doesn't take itself seriously. And like a part of me is kind of sad that they abandoned more of like the artistry and the the seriousness of the other two films. Not seriousness because not that serious, but like Godzilla and. Um, Godzilla and uh, Skull Island, like, they kind of got rid of a lot of what those films are, but so what? This is Godzilla King of Monsters. This is big things kicking the shit out of each other for two hours, breathing fire, ripping each other's heads off, fighting to the death on a volcano. It's just, it's just incredible. It's just incredible. I don't have anything more to say. It's just an incredible, like, don't go into that film expecting something else. Just expect a wild ride that you'll just enjoy. And just, you just have to, like, admit to yourself, right, right, this is not a film. This is just monsters hitting each other. And maybe there'll be some, they'll try and, like, sneak in a human story, but just ignore that. Just concentrate on the three-headed dragon fighting huge lizard from another world. Sorry, a three-headed dragon who's also an alien fighting a lizard from the ocean, from a portal, from another world. <laughs> let's, let's think about that for a second and think about how cool that is to see in a film. It's incredible. I was jumping around. I, I, was, I remember watching it on my laptop 
in in my bed just just like going oh my god that's incredible it's mental anyway that's all i'm going to say about king of monsters godzilla because it's just what more more to say i love big creatures i love big things that go stomp uh, and thank you for giving that to me because i enjoyed it Next, we have the film Super 8, released in 2011, directed by J.J. Abrams, starring Elle Fanning, Kyle Chander again, Joel Courtney, Riley Griffiths, Riley Griffiths who once retweeted me on Twitter, because I tweeted about how much I loved Super 8, and he retweeted me. Uh, during the summer of 1979, a group of friends witness a train crash while filming a short film, and investi- investigate the subsequent unexplained events in their small town. This was one of my favourite films for a long time, and it probably still is. Um, it's a really special film and I think it's a film that kind of flew under the radar a little bit it is very Spielbergian Uh, he produced it which makes sense I suppose but it's very like E.T. finding a monster but this time it's a huge alien who's building a ship and killing people Um, (laughs) not a small creature who's dressing up like a lady and pretending to be a teddy bear in a little girl's uh, wardrobe I've seen this film a lot and I think it's really funny. The dynamic between the kids is really good. They feel like real friends. They talk like real kids. Um, obviously, it's about filmmaking, and that gets some extra points with me. But it's there's a lot of films about filmmaking, and but this feels slightly different, obviously, because there's a giant alien trying to kill people or trying to get home. But this is just... It feels a little bit different because it's kids filmmaking as well. I watched this when I was like 12. It just kind of sparked something in me. I, I, I don't want to say it like inspired me to be a filmmaker or set me on the path of like loving films. But there was an aspect of this film where I was like, these kids are just going out there and making a film. Like that's really impressive. And like they, they showed the at the end of the film they show the short film that they're making throughout the film. The film within a film. And it's really good. Like, obviously the acting's not great because they're pretending to be bad actors because they're kids. And But there's a lot of good stuff in there. Like, there's, it's a zombie thing, but they use the train crash. And <sighs> I just really love this film. And there's a lot... Obviously, there's the alien and the, the story about that. But I like that they don't really show the alien, really, until towards the end. And then maybe they show it a little too much, but no, actually, probably not. But they 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 don't show the alien for a long time, which is really good. And there's also a really interesting aspect about grief and fatherhood. And I don't know what it is like for other people, but maybe people think that the human story is always like tacked on a little bit, like in the Godzilla films, the human story within it seems a little bit added on because they feel like a film needs it, which it probably does. But this feels like it's it fits the film like the the two stories like the story of fatherhood and grief and losing our mother and the father-son relationship father-daughter relationship with Elle Fanning's character that feels complementary and um feels like it has worth being in this film about an alien crash crashing on earth there's a lot of things about this that I really like obviously the opening is really sad with the mother dying um and there's the uh, things that, like I say, with Elle Fanning's, uh, her and her dad is really, I think it's a really important part of this story. Um, and that, like, it takes the end of the world, <laughs> as you know it, to bring uh, families together. 
and obviously it's a little bit like cringe at the end that the the monster used all the metal and the one thing it needed was the locket of him and his mother that he's been holding all the film but the symbolism of that i'm okay with people said i looked like the main character like joel courtney and this people used to say i looked like him because i used to have like long hair like that and i just really like this film i think it's it's beautiful i think a lot of that this is beautiful i think the acting in it is obviously really good the, the kind of the love sort of story between um Elle Fanning and Joel Courtney's characters um I really like actually it's very it's like a it's a young person's love story it, it doesn't feel weird um people react to things the way I expect them to react like when the train crashes they lose their shit they they, they go crazy uh they're running around screaming they think people's people are dead because there's fake blood but it's actually fake blood they're screaming they're crying they're running away when uh the the army's uh equipment's going haywire and destroying the town they're screaming one of them like breaks their leg and everyone's screaming and everyone's like shut up shut up shut up stop screaming it's just it's like how kids would react in that situation uh i just really like this film and it inspired me a lot and it's like a, it's kind of like a knockoff Spielberg film, which I get. It's like a knockoff E.T. with a bit more action. Um, but I think it's a really beautiful film. And like, if if you don't really like the alien version, like the alien part of it, the kids' relationships are really funny and really authentic. And also there's all the stuff about, it's kind of like an Area 51 thing where there's that their teacher who was a scientist in the 80s uh, was touched by the alien and suddenly just understood it like through touch this alien becomes understood maybe that's all it wants is to be understood and be, t- and be allowed to go home like et i suppose but everyone it's kind of like the misunderstanding of the alien like yes it's like eating the people but as soon as you touch it you understand it like the people who are captured by this alien understand it's 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 pain like it just wants to go home right next because i need to fly through this because i have to go to work today uh, next film is The Mitchells versus The Machines, released in 2021, directed by Michael Rianda. Uh, starring Abby Jacobson, Maya, Maya Rudolph, Eric Andre, Danny McBride, Olivia Coleman, among many other actors. Uh, a quirky dysfunctional family's roadship is upended up, up when they find themselves in the middle of a robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. So this was produced by Lord and Miller, who obviously did the Spider-Verse film. And, you know, the upcoming uh, Spider-Verse film as well. This film, I feel like, just went under the radar. I feel like a lot of people saw it and a lot of people liked it, but I just didn't hear a lot of people talking about it that much. Uh, When I watched it, it was one of the funniest films I'd seen in a long time. It's a really good film. Uh, A lot of it's, obviously, again, there's a character in there who is like a wannabe filmmaker, so you kind of get that aspect and that relatability with that. Um... It was a very like modern way of looking at filmmaking as well. Whereas like Super 8 is obviously made in the set in the seventies, the late seventies. Like they're using a Super 8 camera, they're making like realistic films. Obviously, it's a zombie zombie apocalypse film, but you know. Whereas this one, she's making like she's editing, she's using effects, she's kind of like like everything everywhere all at once, like using practical effects and making something look interesting. Um, I really like the brother, the little brother in this film. 
purely for one reason, really, uh, that he really likes dinosaurs, and I really liked dinosaurs when I was a kid. And he like is always saying that, or he says that like these dinosaurs should have feathers on them, and it's actually factually incorrect. And I'm like, yes, I'm that guy. Uh, I think I spoke about this in one of the breaking a story. Uh, was it in one of the breaking a story episodes? I can't remember, but I remember talking about this that I just appreciated a character saying that. It made my eight year old self very happy. Um, it's incredibly like a weird film, but it's a really funny film. There's a lot of things that don't really uh, sit with me. Like at the end, there's a lot of like a few like meme references in the film, um, and at the end they sing uh, their Maya song. God, that my voice is horrible, but they sing they sing that song at the end. It's kind of like yeah, this meme was years ago. You've just kind of ruined it. Like I feel like people are just going to remember this film for the bad use of that song, and that's not really what that film's about. It's a much more family orientated really like special film this has a lot of weirdness a lot of quirkiness in it but it's really funny really really funny film really really funny film like the the, the villain played by olivia coleman isn't like the greatest villain it's not it's not incredible uh but the family dynamics really fun there's the relationship between the father and the daughter is really interesting like you really i really didn't like the dad but he kind of comes around on you and you kind of sort begin to understand yeah, is that all I'm going to say on that film? I'm kind of rattling through them a little bit, but just because I've been recording for a little while now, and I just I have a deadline to finish recording this. Uh, next is uh, Upgrade. Um, it's uh, released in 2018, directed by Lee Wannell. We Wannell? Winnell? Lee Winnell. Uh, starring Logan Marshall Green, Betty Gabriel, Harrison Gilbertson. Uh, set in the near future, technology controls nearly all aspects of life. But when the world of grey... A self-labeled technophobe is turned upside down. He, his only hope for revenge is an experimental computer chip, computer chip implant. Now, this might you might have heard of this film. It was on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but I watched it on Netflix a few years ago now. I think quite soon after it came out, and it's just incredibly batshit crazy. Like a few of these films, like I feel like I like kind of batshit crazy films sometimes, but. This one is incredible. Like, watch this film purely for the camera work and the directing and the editing. Like, it's amazing. You, you, you've probably seen clips of it. Or maybe not. I don't know. But I, I, I saw... I don't know if I saw the trailer or if I saw a clip of, like... What they do is that the camera moves with the person. Like, it's attached to the actor. So if he, like, leans back, the camera will lean back with him. And it's just a really interesting thing that I haven't seen, uh, like, utilised as much as it did in this film. And it's really, really interesting, like, just fascinating. And it's also, like, yeah, it's a bit of a, oh, and he gets a chip that makes him super powerful and it's an AI who talks to him. It's kind of like, oh, of course. <laughs> but it's like, so what? It was like the the makers and the writers of this film or the writer of this film was like, okay, and what if that happens next? And what if, what if, okay, what if now this happens? Oh, it'd be cool if this happens now. Oh, but actually, this happening now would also be really cool. It was just like they wrote a film like that. It wasn't like, oh, what what makes sense here? What, what, does this suit the character? Does this suit the motivations of the character right now? 
And I'm sure they were talking that into account, but it was more like, oh no, it'd be really cool if he beat the shit out of this person right now, so let's do it. It'd be really cool if he did a fucking backflip right now, so let's just make him do it. It's really cool if we had a car chase now. Let's just do it. I just, I love film like, I love films like that, and this one did it perfectly, where it was just like, fuck it, let's do a cool film where he does stunts and crazy editing and crazy camera work. It's very different. It's, if, if you like revenge films, it's, 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 it's just, it's a very simple revenge film, but done in the craziest, most original way. Apparently it's getting a sequel TV series, I don't know if that's actually happening, but I was doing some research on the film. And apparently it's getting a sequel TV series, so that's cool, especially if it's doing the same, uh, in the, the same like direction, the same style. That's the word style. Right next, wow! Well, I spoke a lot about the first few films, and I'm just rattling through them. Next is Private Life, uh, released in 2018, directed by Tamara Jenkins, starring Paul Giamatti, uh, Catherine Hahn, and Kaylee Carter. An author is undergoing multiple multiple fertility therapies to get pregnant, putting her relationship with her husband on edge. Obviously, this film is kind of based on the director's uh, experiences, Tamara Jenkins, but this is a phenomenal film. I have a thing, which you've probably heard me talk about, and I'll probably do an episode episode on it at some point, but I want to do it properly, so it'll be a while. This is what I call like a happy, sad film, where it takes like a sad saying, a sad circumstance, and sees the humour and the kind of, the yeah, the humour in it all. And this is exactly that. Obviously, it's about a two, a couple in their late forties, I think, trying for a child one last time. Kind of, they tried all these things, and they're figuring what's the best way. It's it's a heartbreaking film, but it's really funny. Like Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn are hilarious in this. I love Catherine Hahn. Like, like I said in the last episode, I'm rewatching Parks and Rec at the minute, and she's like, she's in like five episodes in Parks and Rec, but she's hilarious in it. And their, their chemistry is just really impressive. It's, I'm baffled that this isn't more well known because it's in, an incredible film. It's incredible. I loved it. I think I watched it. I can't remember. I watched like a director's roundtable, you know, that like the Hollywood Reporter does, and Tamara Jenkins was on there, and I hadn't heard of the film that she was talking about that she'd written and directed. And I, it sounded interesting. I watched it, and it was it's on Netflix, and it's. An incredible film. It's a really incredible film. It's got like, like only got like six thousand reviews on Letterbox, and I was like, more people need to watch this film. It's one of some of the best performances I've ever seen. It's incredibly heartbreaking at the end when Paul Jim is like, I don't even know if I want a kid anymore. I've never been through that, but it felt incredibly raw and vulnerable for someone to even write that. Or for a character even to say that and have the guts and the honesty and the vulnerability to say, you know, we've been through all this, we've been through all this horrible stuff and I, I can't even remember why I want the child anymore. Like, that's, that's horrible. And, yeah, a lot of the film is that where you have these, like, really funny moments with the couple and the the teenager who they kind of look start to look after and start stays with them who's like a family friend or something and obviously she ends up being their donor or being like their carrier is it a carrier what's the surrogate a carrier what am i talking about <laughs> a surrogate and their relationship is really funny and really beautiful and i just 
I'm just think I just think about this film a lot, and I think it's a beautiful film. I think it's a film that more people should see. It's on Netflix. I assume it's still on Netflix because Netflix distributed it. Distributed it, I think. And the performances are incredible. The writing is tight and funny and heartbreaking and all the things I love. Anyway, <laughs> the next two I think a lot of people are going to disagree with. Uh, so the next one is Grown Ups, uh, released in 2010, uh, directed by Dennis Dugan, uh, starring Adam Sandler, Salma Hayek, Chris Rock, and everyone from SNL and all their friends. After the high school basketball coach passes away, five good friends and former teammates reunite for a 4th of July holiday weekend. This is a modern comedy classic. Don't even... I'll die on this hill. I will battle everyone on this hill and I will die on this hill if needed. This is a modern comedy classic. This is one of the... When I watched this for the first time, it was the funniest film I'd ever seen. Obviously, I was a kid when I watched this for the first time. Or like an early teenager, but this is... One of the funniest films I've ever seen when I first watched this. Obviously, Grown Ups 2 isn't as funny, but that's okay. This this first one's one of the funniest films. It's just a group of mates having fun with some with their wives and kids. Going down a water slide. What's not fun about that? It's hilarious. It's probably not aged that well, I'm going to assume. I haven't watched it in a while. I'm going to assume it hasn't aged that well. But for now, I'm going to keep... I'm going to be stay in blissful ignorance and just say, yeah... It's the, it's a modern comedy classic. I think it's one of the funniest films I've ever seen. I've, it, few films have made me laugh as much as this one did in my in, 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 as a teenager and as a kid. Uh, and the fact is, it was meant like I think Adam Sandler wrote this in the nineties, and it was meant to be Chris Farley in the Kevin James role, but obviously he passed away, so they had to postpone it or just shelve it to a later date. And I'm glad they made it because it's a really funny film. It's just really funny. Like, what would you want? It doesn't have to be nuanced or interesting. You just have to see chubby men and their beautiful wives somehow uh, with their kids go down a water slide and swear at each other and make dick jokes. And I don't know. It's just really funny. And it's probably not age well, so I'm probably sounding like a bit of a weirdo right now. But maybe don't watch this one. Maybe just, you know. Just pretend you watched it as a kid and really like it, because that's what that's, that, that, uh, it's probably not good anymore. Right, last film I'm going to talk about today uh, is "We Are Your Friends." Now, this is a film released in 2011. Uh, no, sorry, 2015, directed by Matt Joseph, who was or is or was the cameraman from Catfish, uh, starring Zac Efron, Emily Ratajkowski, Wes Bentley, among other people. Caught between a forbidden romance and the expectations of his friends, aspiring DJ Cole Carter attempts to find the path in life that leads to fame and fortune. I think a lot of people don't like this film. This, I really like this film. I remember, what I, I think it's all about who you watch things with. And I think if I watch this with other people who, from who I did actually watch it with, I wouldn't like it. But So I watched this when it came out in 2015 with my cousin who's a really uh, big, like, uh, electronic music fan like makes it the music knew a lot of like the references and like there's a lot of cameos from DJs in this film and he understood that and, and it was a film that was kind of made kind of for him and we really liked it and there's some really good moments in that I think the direction and editing is really interesting like Max, Max Joseph this is I think his only feature film it's very like YouTube kind of edited or like Casey Neistat kind of edited. And it's interesting because Max and Casey are friends, but 
there's a lot of like uh, title graphics and archive footage and like weird kind of homemade style, not homemade, but just like, I don't know how to explain it, but like Casey Neistat kind of editing and graphics and stuff. And it was just really fresh and interesting. I think it's it's actually an incredibly like sexy film. And I mean that physically and like intellectually where obviously Zac Efron and Emily Ratajkowski are incredibly good looking people and watching them together on screen is incredibly sexy. Like they're, they're good looking people. And also not only that, obviously there are good looking people in the film, but not only that, it's an incredibly passionate film. This is a film about passion. It's a film about, I love DJing and I'm going to do it and I'm going to make it what makes it successful. I don't want to be the salesperson who gets lots of money. I want to be a DJ and I want that to be what brings me happiness and what brings me fame and fortune. I want the things that I love to be the thing that makes me successful. And that's powerful and that's interesting. And it teaches you about electronic music as well. It's, you, you don't you don't have to be a fan going into this. Like I'm not really a fan. I watched it with a fan, but I'm not with a, I'm not a fan of electronic music really. I like some stuff, but it teaches you about it. It teaches you about beats per minute. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of heart in this film as well. Like a lot of it's about like the American dream kind of cringiness sort of thing. But their friend dies in it. Like Squirrel's death is heartbreaking. Really, really sad. And it comes out of nowhere, which is kind of good because you're like, they're kind of starting to improve life, but maybe going off the wrong track and then bam, their friend's dead. Let's reevaluate things. And he reevaluates. And obviously the film is a lot about like him always using like sampling and always like using electronic sounds. Whereas the message of the film is to use like the world around you as inspiration. So instead of running with headphones on, listening to electronic music, run without headphones on and listen to the world around you and get inspiration from the sounds that you can hear. Now, obviously, not a lot of DJs are using like the sound of a zipper going up in their films, but the sentiment is there. And I think this is probably the one, the only one here where people don't like it. I think a lot of people don't like Grown Ups, but can see why someone who watched it when they were younger liked it. And all the other films, I think... A lot of people do like all the other films, whereas this one, I don't think a lot of people like this film. Um, but I do. And, you know, that's it's my podcast. I can talk about whatever I want. And if I say it's underrated, it's underrated. <laughs> I really like that film. It's got incredible heart to it. It's incredibly passionate. Yes, it's a little, like, cringy at times. It's, it's a little rough around the edges, but it's got a lot of redeeming qualities, and I really like it. So, yeah, those are my eight films, I guess, plus Under the Skin. That I'm going to talk about in my underrated films episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Wagon Wheel Coffee Table podcast. You probably didn't agree with all of my choices there, but these are just my opinions. Maybe when you leave a review, tell me maybe an underrated film that you feel like more people should watch. And and speaking of that, please leave reviews, please leave five star ratings, please leave likes, please follow the podcast. I don't know, I don't understand podcasts and all that sort of stuff, but please do all the things that show me that you're enjoying the podcast. I'm seeing that people are downloading it, and I'm like, eh, are they, though? Are they? I don't trust this, 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 not algorithm, what's the word? This this data, I don't trust it. Who could who could decide, who could, out of the millions of podcasts in the world, who could f- find this one and go, yes, let me, let me listen to this one. It's called Wagon Wheel Coffee Table, but it's a film podcast. Let's listen to that. 
Anyway, that's going to be it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, you'll hear me next week.